Welcome to Gary on Guns. I'm your host, Gary Lowe, along with Scott Van Kirk, and Mike Hammond is on board from Gun Owners of America, uh, one of those organizations, well, the organization, as far as uh, I'm concerned anyway, uh, that really go out and fight for the Second Amendment. Uh, Mike Hammond on board with us. Mike, this arm brace thing has been going back and forth and back and forth. Where do we stand on it now? The pistol brace? Uh, well... Uh, Joe Biden is clearly going to uh, try to promulgate regulations, uh, making something that's been legal, something that's been nothing but an accessory as long as it's existed. Uh, and Joe Biden's going to try to turn it into something analogous to a machine gun, He's saying that uh, it turns a pistol into a short barreled rifle, which is on a list of NFA weapons. Uh, is he going to succeed? I think not. And I think the reason he's not going to succeed is because of another lawsuit that Gun Owners of America has just won, and that is the bump stock uh, uh, lawsuit. You, you may remember that some gun owners, when we contested the uh, attempt to uh, make bump stocks illegal, said, oh, I don't have a bump stock. Why should I care about it? Well, this is why you should care, uh, because the fact that we have uh, won in the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals on the proposition that a piece of plastic and foam rubber is not a machine gun uh, gives us precedent for the proposition that a piece of plastic and foam rubber which forms a pistol brace, is also not a machine gun, a short-barreled rifle, or an NFA weapon. So uh, basically, plastic is not a machine gun. Plastic is not a short-barreled rifle. Uh, I think that Biden is flailing away, but I think ultimately he's going to lose this case in the courts for the same reason that BATF is losing the bump stock case. You know, interestingly, and I'm, I'm sure Scott agrees with me, neither one of us think the bump stock is particularly useful. Fun, but not particularly useful. But like gun owners of America, we, well, th- we thought it was the uh, nose, we thought it was the nose yeah. of the camel in the tent. Fortunate, yeah, fortunately, usefulness is not necessarily a <laughs> prerequisite for Second Amendment validity, just as the usefulness or lack thereof of the New York Times uh, doesn't depend, uh, uh, doesn't determine whether it comes under the First Amendment. <laughs> Just because its primary utility is to put under the bird in the birdcage uh, doesn't necessarily mean it's not protected by the Constitution. You're right, by the way. That's about all it's good for. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm always right, but never believe. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, well, and I mean, on a number of fronts, I think as a, uh, the gun owning public in the in the United States has suffered under certain illusions in that we remain in our certain camps. We have the hunting camp and we have the shotgunner camp and we have the um, the uh, evil black rifle camp and everything else like that. And oftentimes, uh, and I don't want to take us too far, too far, but oftentimes we find those those different groups are like, well, why would I need an AR-15 if I'm a trap shooter and everything yeah. else like that and fail to realize that we're all uh, in this together? Yeah, all, all, the, all the premises basically join together in one legal concept. And if you begin 
if you begin selling off uh, some of the premises underlying the Second Amendment, because it's not something you use, ultimately, you're going to find out that the thing you use is also banned. Oh, absolutely. And I think that the uh, uh, the pro-gun control people have been trying that particular tactic for years, trying to separate us out within different groups. If you just turn the radio on, Michael Hammond with us, Gun Owners of America, uh, unlike other uh, some other and, and perhaps better known uh, gun groups, uh, Gun Owners of America seems to take it right to the anti-gunners, uh, which is, uh, for me, very exciting. They're not worried about political correctness. They're worried about uh, the Second Amendment. You know, they, Michael, they, they have these, yeah. uh, uh, you know, open for comment periods when they're proposing. Yeah. Do, does it really make a difference? Do they look at the comments and go, oh, well, we shouldn't go there? Or do they just ignore it and do whatever they want? Well, I, I, I uh, probably should be very careful about how I parse my words here. There have been over 100,000 comments. 40,000 of them have been generated by GOA. I think it is useful to bombard BATF. Having said that, I don't think that BATF is going to back off as a result of the fact that 100,000 people uh, say they're idiots. (laughs) Uh, But it may make a difference in the courts. Yeah, So I, I think it's a useful exercise. I don't think it will be dispositive. Uh, well, the show is nationally syndicated. It actually uh, comes out of Missouri. And uh, we wow. have passed the Second Amendment Preservation Act here in the state of Missouri, and it's being challenged in the court. Uh, have you looked at our Second Amendment Preservation Act there? And- yes. Uh, I, well, first of all, I love Missouri. I was born in Missouri. I was educated in Missouri. And, uh, and uh, many of the people... Uh, in your direct listening area, probably in your neighborhood, are people I went to high school with. So I love the state. Uh, yes, uh, the answer is not only is your sanctuary law good, uh, but I, I, I think it's good enough so that it's irritated the Biden administration. Already, the assistant secretary of uh, the assistant attorney general in charge of the civil division and the Justice Department has threatened your governor over your Second Amendment sanctuary law. Uh, my, my general attitude has been, and I drafted the template for Second Amendment sanctuary laws. There are now 1,500 jurisdictions in this country that have adopted that template. And it's about half of the jurisdictions in existence in this country. And, and it's not surprising that they are scared uh, because we have Joe Biden having nominated a uh, head of BATF who said that the women and children at Waco deserve to burn uh, because of their connection with the Second Amendment. So given this crazy that has been nominated to head BATF, I, I think Missouri and states like that are uh, well advised to say that if the Biden administration tries to uh, do away with the Second Amendment, well, it's it's like uh, Andrew Jackson said, uh, Justice Marshall has made his decision, now let him enforce it. And the nice thing about sanctuary laws is that the Supreme Court has held uh, under the Prince decision that states do not 
have an obligation to become regulatory enforcers for the federal government. That's clearly established judicial judicial law. And so the state of Missouri uh, certainly has the ability, if Biden tries to, as his uh, uh, BATF nominee has proposed, to ban all semi-automatics and all AR-15s on the basis that they are, quote, readily convertible to machine guns. Uh, If uh, Joe Biden tries to do that, uh, Missouri is well advised to have the statutory framework in law to say, Joe Biden, go pound sand. Uh, Yeah, first, the quote uh, about uh, the folk, the wackos at Waco, uh, I was, and, and really when it comes to the firearms argument, they were not crazy, but I, I didn't know that he said that. That is really ugly. Uh, yeah, there are some things that he contests. He says, I wasn't in those pictures that you're, you're showing around. Okay, I, I'm willing to accept that. But he did do interviews uh, saying that those women and children deserve to burn. And the reason is because he claimed that they were firing uh, through the ceiling blindly at uh, BATF helicopters, which were hovering under overhead. And he used that to justify, first of all, locking the doors. Secondly, throwing in the canisters, which ultimately caught fire and burned those people to death. I, I, I mean, the guy is not only extremely liberal, he's not only spent the last several years working for uh, people like Giffords and arguing the proposition that AR-15s are machine guns uh, because they're, quote, readily convertible, in his opinion, into machine guns. Uh, I mean, he's certifiably crazy. I don't disagree. Michael Hammond, thank you for being on board from Gun Owners of America. We appreciate it. You guys do such great work. All right, that's uh, Gun Owners of America. Uh, In just a couple of minutes, we're going to come back. We're going to chat with Garson from uh, Graffs down in Mexico, Missouri. We have uh, State Representative on board, Chuck Basie, and, of course, uh, our legal eagle, who's a regular on Gary on Guns. We'll chat with Dave as well, Dale as well. Coming up, Gary and Guns, Hot Talk 93.9 Eagle. Uh, 23 minutes after the hour, State Representative Chuck Basie on board with us this morning. Chuck, good morning. Good morning, sir. I understand that you're going to check out a half an hour early. Uh, yes, I have to leave. I we have to go pick up my dad, and we're going to a uh, a funeral for a friend that passed away. Okay, so I had a, a witty response, but now that seems a little out of place. That, a little inappropriate, huh? Yeah, sort of should have shot that all the hell. All right, uh, but uh, but we do have Garson in from Graffs. He's brought in a couple of firearms. We'll talk about those uh, about 45 minutes from now. Garson, good morning. Good morning. And uh, also Dale Roberts. I tried to change your nail. Your nail. You know what? Maybe I should start the show all over again. How's Dick Van Dyke doing? (laughs) Hey, I resurrected him. You're on with a radio god. Uh, Yeah, Dale Roberts on board with us uh, also. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Uh, Listening to the uh, Gun Owners of America, did any of you ever hear that quote from David Chipman about uh, Waco? I had not. The one where he claims to not have been there? No, well, or the pictures no. of him aren't his. Yeah, the the one where he said they all deserve to die. 
I had not, and that's just shocking, but maybe I shouldn't be shocked anymore from him. Good Lord, this guy has such an ugly reputation. Um, well, I want to know how he says he's not there when the pictures are clearly of him there with yeah. burning rubble in the background and his M16, you know, proudly propped up in front of him. Well, it's um, it's hard to explain, but there is a doppelganger out there for all of us, and and that's probably what it was. It, Somebody well, what, who looks exactly it, like him working for Burnham and Turnham to fire was at Waco, and uh, that's what you're looking at. And, and my preferred quote for that event, you know, Janet Reno said we had to go in there because they were religious nuts with guns, and... Uh, P.J. O'Rourke said, this country was founded by religious nuts with guns. (laughs) Yeah. Stephen Gutowski of The Reload had a a long piece uh, that he uh, talked about David Chipman. And his background is really sketchy. Uh, And if it weren't for, you know, everything that I've uh, heard in in that interview, uh, I would have found some of this difficult to believe. But multiple ATF sources, he writes, back up the existence of a complaint alleging that David Chipman made racist comments during his previous stint at the agency. The agents who have decades of experience at the agency told uh, this uh, the author at the Reload that they had heard the accusations that Chipman denigrated black ATF agents up for promotion. Uh, they said that he, uh, they heard that uh, Chipman alleged that they're uh, you know, th- that they were maybe cheating he made some comments that he was surprised by the number of african americans who had made it into the specific promotional list uh, so his insinuation is that they had to have cheated uh, which is kind of despicable a former atf agent that worked directly with chipman said he heard the same story That one had to do with what's called the assessment center, which would be to get promoted. The former agent told the reload uh, that somebody would have had to file a complaint against him if he were a supervisor making those comments. Uh, Current ATF officials said the allegations ended his time in Detroit, and he left because of that. He did not leave. This is a quote. On the best of terms, his reputation was that he was not nice to people. You know, he is rabidly anti-gun. He wants to ban something that he refuses to describe, but he's in favor of banning it. Uh, we've played that audio on the program in the past. Question, and I'll and I'll start this off uh, on the political side uh, with Chuck. Chuck, if if you're a politician, and that's what Biden is, and you got a nominee with this kind of a reputation. Would you pull him back just based on the allegations? Well, uh, I, I I would. It seems like he shouldn't have been nominated in the first place. But um, And there are a lot of things that's troubling about this uh, gentleman, in my opinion. So uh, I think the, uh, the Biden folks ought to pull him back and put somebody else more reasonable in there. Current and former ATF officials who asked to have their identities withheld said they're worried that if this guy gets to be the head of the ATF, that they may suffer reprisals. The concern with him is he's got a reputation for being a bully. This is a guy who works for the ATF. 
And he also has a pretty well-founded reputation for being an activist when it comes to gun control. So these people are in, you know, kind of in fear for their career over this guy. Uh, Minority leader in the uh, in the Senate said, you know, the president has to pull him back. I don't think the president's going to do it. I I think this guy is just hell bent to make this happen. Uh, so let me go to uh, to the attorney in the crowd uh, and ask Dale. Based on uh, your knowledge of the Constitution, what do you think? And 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 your you know kind of barometer of what's going on in the world. You think this guy passes? Oh, I certainly hope not, and I think not, and I. I sit here wondering, was he actually chosen by Biden or did someone tell Biden this is who you need to appoint? And if that's the case, who was it? Was it Kamala Harris? Um, But just as you said, just for his employment discrimination issues alone, he's not qualified for that position. And it's just, you know, I'm dumbfounded how how he still is, you know, actively being considered, if that's the case, and I think it is. Garson, listen to this. Chipman is also outside the norm for an ATF agent, they said. ATF employees, especially field agents, tend to be gun enthusiasts themselves, and most view their job as stopping violent crime rather than instituting restrictive gun control measures. You think that's true? Um, I don't know that many ATF agents. Um, the the ones I do know, I would say that's true about them. They're gun enthusiasts, and they're not anti-gun. They just want to curb violent crime. Yeah, and it's generally assumed that everyone in tech branch is also a gun person, since they're you know very knowledgeable about about firearms in general. Since they're the ones that are really left to to develop procedure and policy. All right, uh, when we come back, and we'll do that in just a few minutes, uh, we'll chat about Kim Gardner. She is really making the news. You're listening to Gary on Guns, Hot Talk, 93.9 The Eagle. 35 minutes after the hour, and it, you know, it, it looking outside, uh, it looks more like 835 at night. Uh, a lot of rain out there. Uh, Garson Chen on board with us from Graphs, and then uh, we've got Dale uh, Roberts on board with us, and, uh, of course, Chuck Basie is with us. Um, yeah, I guess I got to start this uh, with Dale again. Uh, St. Louis prosecutor Kim Gardner uh, is in trouble because she let some murderers, it literally kind of sl- slipped through her fingers. Um, she, she didn't waste any time going after a couple of people who were trying to protect their private property. Uh, but in this case, well, I guess just not that important. Um, is there... A criminal liability for a prosecutor that does what she's done. I mean, they apparently they stamped the signature of a prosecutor uh, who was out on maternity leave on these papers. So clearly, she couldn't show up. Is is there some criminal or legal ramification? Not that I'm aware of. And from what I know, I, I mean, I caught that story some days ago in the news and. You know, prosecutors have extraordinary discretion in what they do and don't do. Um, and the theory has always been, well, they're, you know, 
next election you can fix this. Um, but obviously a lot of damage can be done between elections when you're dealing with a prosecutor like Kim Gardner. Um, and I think, and Chuck may know about this, I thought the state passed uh, legislation this year that would allow the attorney general to intervene on certain cases, but I don't know that he can just, you know, do anything. I, I think that was part of the special session, but I don't think we passed that. Okay. Uh, the, the special session a year or so ago okay. on crime, okay. and, and that fell apart, I believe. Gotcha. Well, she, she sure didn't let the McCloskeys slip through the cracks, did she? Not at all. And she has a well-known reputation nationally for going after law enforcement officers any chance she gets. Well, didn't she uh, come out a couple years ago and saying there was certain, if there, there were charges brought by a certain group of police officers oh, that she, would she just wouldn't... wouldn't, wouldn't uh, yeah, she wouldn't accept them. Yeah, she was just like, unbelievable. It's got your name on it. I'm not doing it. Um, and and I think it's gotten to be a spitting contest where, you know, the some of the law enforcement organizations in St. Louis, <clears throat> excuse me, have come out against her, and she doesn't take that <clears throat> she doesn't take that well. Excuse me. Doesn't uh, doesn't she have some other legal problems associated with her going after the uh, former governor? Yes, they're they're. Let me see if I can remember this. I mean, there's so many issues with Kim Gardner. Um, I, I believe her office withheld evidence that, by law, should have been disclosed to Greitens' attorney. to the Exculpatory, defense. right? Yes, sir. Yes. Um, as I recall, that was it. And I, I, it seems like I think one of her investigators was accused, if not convicted, of lying under oath or presenting false evidence. It's been a while. So, and yeah. Tisby. Andrew Tisby. Oh, okay. Believe She's won re-election, right? She won her first round, obviously. Uh, and then she won re-election, right? I believe that's correct. Overwhelmingly. You know, if I'm living in St. Louis, whether I'm a Democrat or a Republican, I would think on her third go-around, she'd be an easy mark to get rid of. I mean, letting these this guy, one of these guys, just committed a murder, you know, less than a year ago, uh, and he got turned loose to the streets um, because of her malfeasance. Uh, I I would think she'd be easy to beat. We'll have to wait and see. She's got George Soros money behind her, and so. and she has voters who think she can do no wrong. I mean, inner city St. Louis people, I think, think she's wonderful. Um, I think we saw the same phenomena in Columbia. You know the. Councilman was convicted of illegal activity, and his people came out and said, "But he's a good guy. You know, we should keep him." So, yeah, go figure. Hard to understand. Eight seven four ninety three ninety. The toll free number eight hundred five two nine five five seven two. Part of the reason this program gets on the air is the fine folks uh, in Mexico, Missouri, graphs, uh, and they sent us Garson Chen. Uh, we asked for somebody else, but they just keep sending us Garson. Garson, uh, how are you guys doing on ammo? Is it starting to show up? I'm hearing better news every week. I guess I should be happy I at least got my name right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, that was an accident. I meant to um. screw it up. Um, <laughs> how are we doing for ammo? Uh, we actually got a bunch of ammo in right now. Um, the prices still haven't returned to pre-election levels. But um, I, I think if the supply continues to come in as it is, 
Um, ammunition should return to uh, 1999 prices here maybe in the next six to nine months. Is it is it coming down at all? I mean, is it, you know, the, if you're getting more supplies, maybe it's not where it was before all this tumult started, but is it working its way down? Is it a little less expensive? Well, um, we were given the option to purchase ammo at inflated prices from some of our vendors, and we decided we'd rather be without ammo than to tell people that this is the new price. So we've actually passed over ammo um, due to due to some of the outrageous prices we were asked to pay. Um, uh, one, of, one of our vendors wanted $40 for a box of 9mm at our cost. Wow. And they told us they wouldn't be able to get it to us for six months, <laughs> even after we paid them, um, you know, four times normal normal price for ammo. Um, so we just said, no, we'll... we'll We'll just do without. We're not gonna. We're not gonna even try and resell that to our customers. Garson, do you know? Are there other companies doing that? Is that going to force the industry to change their prices, or do you think you all are alone in that regard? Um, I don't know how many other companies are doing that. Um, I, I would assume some companies are doing it just because they can't afford to to pay the inflated prices, whether they want it or not. But um, it, it's you know. We had that huge surge in copper prices, and I was expecting that to drive up prices a little bit um, because that's one of the hardest parts right now is getting the raw materials to actually make ammunition um, because a lot of the mills that process brass and copper, um, you know, are still, you know, poorly staffed or under COVID restrictions. I went over after the show three weeks ago and got nine mil two two three well, five five six and I think forty five and and primers, and the prices were more than I'm accustomed to, but they didn't really offend me. I mean, well, they work hard to keep you know the prices as fair as they can. Yeah, um, it is uh, forty three minutes after the hour. This story uh, really really irritated me. Remington, um, this is uh, the Sandy Hook shooting. Remington offered a, a $33 million to settle this. And it scares me because I think they're setting a precedent here. Um, I would, if, if I were at Remington and the attorneys uh, recommended this, I would have told them, no, I am not settling. Beat them. It, because I think now there are going to be tons of other lawsuits. And the whole point of suing the gun manufacturer isn't because they, I, in my opinion, because they really think the gun manufacturer expected this to happen, but rather to try and bankrupt them with legal fees. So again, Dale, $33 million, is it setting a precedent? Was it the wrong way to go? Absolutely. I think it sets a precedent. It's absolutely the wrong thing to do. Attorneys will smell blood in the water, see blood in the water, whatever. Um, and <laughs> I mean, that just sends a signal that you can get something if you file a suit, whether it has merit or not. And well, and I, I kind of wonder, is that even Remington's decision or was it their insurance company's decision? You know, I have a little experience with this because uh, we were sued in our business in Cleveland. Uh, and the, uh, the uh, attorneys, the insurance company rather, wanted to settle. Uh, somebody had come into the tavern, they wanted a drink. Uh, we cut them off. We would ser actually wouldn't serve them. Uh, then they went out and got in a horrible accident. Uh, they were suing us and several other taverns. And the insurance company said, well, we could just settle and this thing will all go away. And we said, no, we are not settling. 
He did not have a drink in our place, and we are not going to pay. And the insurance company had to go fight it, and they prevailed. So I'm guessing that in this case, even if the insurance company told Remington, you know, let's settle, that Remington could have said no. Dale, am I right? They absolutely could have. It may have cost them more uh, in terms of attorney's fees on their own, but they'd still be, I think, money ahead to fight something like this rather than to fold and give in and set the precedent that we can sue firearms companies and prevail. We can get them to just pay up and make us go away. Uh, they're already bankrupt anyway. All right, we'll come back and we'll uh, chat about this a little bit more on Gary on Guns on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. 50 minutes after the hour. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. Garson is in uh, from Graffs and then uh, Dale Roberts. Uh, so, uh, Dale, uh, Dale Roberts is not a Second Amendment uh, uh, legislator. He's a uh, Second Amendment uh, lawyer. He's a Second Amendment lawyer, yeah. Second-rate lawyer? What? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Let's not go there. Uh, no, no. Chuck Basie is the Second Amendment legislator. Um, we were talking about Remington. Um, I imagine because of their bankruptcy, they want to clear this up and get it get it behind them so they can settle their, their bankruptcy uh, thing and start, hopefully, turning a profit. But I really do think they, they made a mistake here uh, and that they should have have fought this uh, all the way to the Supreme Court. Let me ask uh, Chuck. Chuck, the federal law apparently restrains these kinds of lawsuits at that level. What about the state? Uh, like here in Missouri, can we say, um, can we get something passed that, that protects these manufacturers? Uh, we've got a lot of them, some of them right in our own neighborhood, uh, CMMG, uh, among others. Can we pass something? I think it would be a very good thing to try and to, to try and do because, uh, as we were talking earlier uh, with this Remington case, um, you know, a smaller company could uh, be in in peril if if we didn't have protections built in there. So uh, I think it'd be something very worthwhile to look at. And Dale, I, Dale, I want to ask you about free speech because what they're what their assertion is is that their advertising was somehow uh, misleading and i'm thinking advertising is free speech yes and I, 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 go ahead well it's not free i mean i don't think here at the radio station uh but yes <laughs> you're right it's free speech and and i i just can't imagine how they you know, unless they had a jury from Boone County. I don't know how they'd prove to a court, in a court of law, that that speech, that that advertising resulted in the harm that they're complaining of. I, you know, I think they just, we were, you know, we were saying off the air, this would have been a great case for Remington and Winchester and Ruger and everybody else to put their money together and fight this to the bitter end to protect the industry. And it's just such a shame that didn't happen. It is because this is going to encourage others to do it, uh, and and it's it, it, it's not designed to to correct a wrong. It's designed to bankrupt uh, retailers, manufacturers, advertisers. Let, uh, let me uh, go to Garson on this Vista Outdoor. Tell me about them. What do you know about them? Anything at all? Uh, yeah, Vista is a huge uh, group of uh, firearms companies. Uh, so Federal um, used to be part of ATK. Um, ATK merged with um, another defense company, 
and then they spun off all the commercial brands into another company called Vista, and that's the the big group of that is um, Federal, CCI Spear, and RCBS, and I, I believe there are like four or five other little companies in there too. Uh, but they bought Remington when uh, Remington went up on the auction block. Uh, not Remington entirely. They bought Remington uh, Ammunition, um, UMC Cartridge. Um, so that is owned by Vista Outdoors now. And then Remington Arms went to another company. Well, I think uh, I think this was a, a mistake on their part. Uh, apparently, uh, the folks at PR for Vista Outdoor reached out to the author of the column at Bearing Arms that we've been referencing uh, to, to tell them the settlement offer had nothing to do with Vista Outdoor. Instead, the case comes from the bankruptcy estate. And as such, the settlement doesn't offer... Uh, doesn't reflect anything Vista Outdoor wants uh, to do with the brand, uh, anything else to do with the company. Uh, so they're making that clear. But I think... Uh, so that was a decision made before Vista got involved with Remington, I, I would assume? Yeah, and and $3.66 million apiece for nine families uh, for doing nothing wrong uh, for, you know, free speech, exercising it, and and then you know how do they how could they possibly go into court and I think Dale sort of addressed this and prove their case. Uh, you know we, the only way I could think of Dale that they could make the case would be if they uh, subpoenaed all of their emails and all of their internal documents with them and their advertising company and found some kind of you know smoking gun. Pardon the expression. Well, we know that uh, they'll use this to kill people that uh, are innocent, but we don't care. Exactly. And that's the Ford Pinto case, you know, back in, what was that, the early 70s, when, you know, Ford Pintos used to explode if they were rear-ended. And Ford was sued, and they found, uh, you know, email and documents from Ford engineers saying, you know, this is a problem, we have to fix it. And the bean counters at Ford said, you know, it's just cheaper to pay off a few claims. And when that came out, Ford paid dearly for it. And yeah. it'd be, and you're right, it'd be the same thing here. They go through discovery, look at the email, look at the documents, and see if they can't find, pardon the pun, the smoking gun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you get rear-ended, you explode. You bet. <laughs> All right, let's move on. We're not going to dwell on that one. <laughs> 874 800-529-5572. You can also reach me at GaryNolan.com. Uh, there's a way that you can message me there. You just go to the website, and uh, and we will get the uh, the information. Uh, let's it, it, we, and also in just a couple of minutes, we're going to talk about the firearms that Garson has brought in from uh, from Graphs, the National Crime Victimization Survey, in the latest year that is available. That's 2019 shows that firearms were used in 440,830 incidents. That is for rapes, robberies, aggravated assaults. The FBI Uniform Crime Report shows that firearms were used in 10,258 murders. Some put that number of uh, some uh, put the number of guns in the United States at around 400 million. If you assume that on average, each criminal's firearm is used in two different crimes, a definite underestimate, 
only about 0.56% of firearms are used in crime in any given year. Over 20 years, and assuming that none of those guns were used again in another crime, that would imply 1.1% of guns were used in a crime. Presumably, many of the crime guns would be used over and over again, so that again is a definite overestimate. Information from the National Crime Victimization Survey. Coming up next, firearms did Garson bring from graphs? Gary on Guns, Hot Talk 93.9 Eagle.